as they're leaving, turn to Deuteronomy. For the sake of time, we are going to jump in. Uh, i got lots to say, as always, and time is short. And so uh, normally we would, we, we talked about reading all, uh, all the verses there in De- Deuteronomy 4, but we're not going to do that either. We're, we're going to cover them as we, as we look at Deuteronomy 4 today. And um, I like hearing the sound of the notebooks clicking. We talked about this week, uh, Just we might need to just have one part of the service where everybody opens them up at the same time, then everybody closes them at the same time just to get it out of the way. Otherwise, for somebody like me who gets distracted by noises very easily, you can ask my wife, it, it, it sounds like popcorn out there. So, uh, But it's good. It's good to know at least in front of me you're pretending like you're, you're keeping your notes and you're putting them in there. Some of you may just be playing with them. I don't even know if you're putting your notes in them. So we're in Deuteronomy 4. And uh, I hope that you will use that to uh, keep track of these notes. And um, last week we looked at Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 3. And, and we made the, the statements of truth. That, and we said this, we must learn to trust God. Chapter 1, if we were going to sum up chapter 1 of Deuteronomy, we would say this, we have to learn to trust God. The only way we learn to trust God is by trusting God. Secondly, we said in chapter 2, God is always faithful and He is actively involved in our lives. He is always faithful and He is actively involved in our lives. He did not just create the world and then just become aloof. He is actively involved in our lives. And lastly, we said from chapter 3, and partly you see that in chapter 4, why we won't cover the second half is because we did last week, we said there is no God like our God. Our God is unique. There is no God like our God. In Deuteronomy 3, but also the second half of Deuteronomy 4, starting in verse 32 at the end, Moses makes that truth known. There is no God like our God. And Moses is reminding again in Deuteronomy, he's reminding them of the great things that God has done for them throughout their history. To take them out of Exodus, that is the great point in their history that they return to over and over is the exodus they were freed from egyptian slavery that is the point at really which they became a a a nation if you will god delivered them through the red sea he delivered them from pharaoh and mo they have set their sights on the future and yet they were to take the promised land and they failed they refused to respond to god by faith they refused to trust his word They refused to, by faith, believe him. And as a result, the the punishment for that, the discipline was that, was entire generation died in the wilderness. Everyone 20 years and older that refused, they followed the the 10 spies that came back and said the land was, was filled with people that were bigger than them. And instead of trusting God's word, they trusted man. And God's punishment was that, was that an entire generation would die. In the wilderness. For 40 years they wandered. And estimates over 2 million individuals died as they wandered. And here Moses is standing before the generation that survived. And they are on the the cusp of entering the promised land. And Moses is addressing them again and preparing them to enter the promised land. And Moses is going to tell them as they go in here, and what we'll see is God has called his followers to a covenant love that is demonstrated in actions that please their Redeemer. There is a covenant relationship between God 
and His people. And the response to that grace, the response to God entering into that covenant, is, is that we are loyal to our King. We are loyal to our Sovereign. We follow Him. Our actions are, are set in a way to please Him. We live for Him. We obey Him. He's our Sovereign. And as we look at chapter 4, it's interesting, on the cusp of entering the promised land, what Moses puts forth here is a truth that is, is, as always, it is pertinent for us today too. If we're going to live as God calls us to, if we're going to experience the life that God has called us to, it's going to revolve around God's Word. And that's exactly what Moses does here in chapter 4. And the point, there's only one point for today, and when we'll, we're going to, everything is going to build around this focus, and it's this, that God is the ultimate source of all Scripture, and we must trust the sufficiency of His Word by responding with obedience and joy and, all, and loyalty in all areas of life. God, God is the ultimate author of Scripture. That is what Moses is going to make sure they understand. God's Word comes from the Lord. And not only that, as such, His Word is sufficient for all areas of our lives. There's no insufficiency in God's Word. There's no deficiency in God's Word. It's sufficient. But we have to respond with obedience and loyalty. That's what Moses is putting forth here in chapter 4. The generation that died did not trust God's Word. That was the problem. They did not trust God's word. He said, the land is yours, just go take it. Well, uh, the people there are big. The walls are high. The enemy is great. You're going to trust what you see, or are you going to trust God's word? They trusted what they saw. They didn't see God's word as being sufficient. And we talked about it last week. I know people will say, I know what the word of God says, but... I know the way the Word of God says, but, that's exactly what they said. I know you promised this land, but you're not trusting the sufficiency of God's Word. You're not trusting His character. And Moses discloses a ton, he unpacks a ton on them here in chapter 4. And what he begins by doing, he says in verse 1, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add a word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I am commanded you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Belpor, for all the men who follow Belpor, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you, but you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. See, I've taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all the statutes and say, Surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there among you with a God, that has a God so near? to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on Him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteousness, as righteous as the whole law which I am setting before you today? Moses makes it very clear that what he is commanding them is from God. 
And, and what he starts off by teaching us, and you have it there on your handout, is the, all, the authority behind the word rested in God. The authority for the word of God rests in God himself. God, God is the author of Scripture. He speaks through men, and men recorded it, but God is the author, and therefore, there's authority. Moses was simply the communicator. He was not the originator. That's what he's making sure they understand that. I'm the mouthpiece. The, the authority behind the word rests in the Lord. And as such, he's saying, look, this isn't something like your forefathers did. This isn't something that you check out, that you need to, you know, kind of weigh it and see if it makes sense. And if it makes sense, you'll do it. And if it, if it seems logical, you'll do it. And if, if, all the, if, if, if the pluses outweigh the minuses, you'll do it. He says, no, no, you do it because the Lord God commanded you to do it. There's a generation of Israelites that are dead for the last 40 years. Almost 2 million died. Because they refused to trust the Lord. Because they wanted to rely on human wisdom more than the Word. And he, Moses is saying, he's given you wisdom, he's given you insight, he's given you the, 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 the joy, the strength through his Word to take, to take this life, to take this land. But will you believe it? Will we trust in the sufficiency of God's Word? And, and he unpacks a lot here, and that's what I want to do today. And you, and you see there on your handout. And so he, he says, first of all, here, he makes sure that they understand. And, and for us, too, he says a couple of things about God's Word that I want to focus on, just the first nine verses today, and really focus on God's Word. And he says, God's Word is complete. The first thing he says in verse 2 is, God's Word is complete. And as such, it is to be listened to because it is what God intends for us to live by. It's complete. He says, You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. He says, You don't add to it, you don't take away from it. You don't get to choose what you want to obey and not obey what you don't want to obey. You don't get to take the easy parts and throw away the hard parts. He says, You don't add to it, you don't take away from it. What does that mean? It's sufficient, it's complete. He says, do not alter this word in any way. It was to be trusted. It was to be kept. He says that you would keep the commandment. God had given Israel everything they needed to survive and to thrive in this promised land. And it was through the word. It was through obedience and living under joyful submission to the word. And he's done the same for us today. What I want us to see as we study Deuteronomy is there's, it's nothing new. He still commands that we live by faith, and He still commands that we live by faith in His Word. Look, look at Revelation 22, 18 through 19, and you'll see even, even today the sufficiency of God's Word. John writes in Revelation 22, I testify to everyone who hears the words of prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them... God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of the pro this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. You know what he says? Same thing Moses said. Don't mess with the word. Don't play around with the word. It's sufficient. If God wanted more there, he would have given you more. 
If he wanted to omit some of what he wrote, he would have omitted it himself. Don't mess with the word. It's fine, it's complete, it's sufficient the way that it is. And to make any accusation, to, to, make, any, to, to, make, to make any accusations to try to add to it or take away from it is essentially to call God a liar. Essentially, you are accusing God of having lied. Because he said himself, the word's sufficient. And, and, and we saw it here, and we, see it last, we saw it last week. God's word is to be trusted, and it's to be followed. It's not to be judged. It's not to be critiqued. It's not to be st- you don't stand over it and judge it. You are to gladly submit under it out of love. Out of love and out of a trust for the sovereign who gave it to us. And when I tell Bradley and Sarah, hey, don't touch the pot of boiling water on the stove, I'm telling them that because I love them. I'm not trying to keep something from them. When God says in His Word, don't do this or do this, He's saying, hey, out of my great love for you, I'm going to help you avoid some of the things that are going to destroy you, and I'm going to help you pursue the things that ought to be pursued. Trust me. Trust me. But, but just, like, just like our children and just like we do, we hear that and we, well, what are they keeping from us? What's he trying to keep from us? Why don't you want me to do that? Trust. This use trust. Are we willing to submit our lives to the word of God? The word here, there, in verse 2, he says, You shall not add, you shall not take away from it, that you may keep the, 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 the commandments. Over and over in verses 1 through 9, he says the word here, here. Over a hundred times in Deuteronomy, that word is used here. And in that day, the word here meant more than just the communication of a sound. You're hearing my voice today, but that's not what that word meant. Hearing meant focusing your entire being, your heart, mind, and your will on the Lord and what was said. It was a focus. It was a submission to. It was obedience. Listen, in verse 1, he says, listen to the statutes. That's the word. It's more than just hearing a noise. It's it's understanding the message. It's it's a focus. And God's word, he says in verse 2, is complete. It's not lacking anything. As such, submit to it. Submit to it. It's complete. It's It's to be focused on. It's to be lived by. In, in verses 3 through 5, Moses says that God's word unlocked life as it was meant to be lived. God's word unlocks life as it was meant to be lived. He says, Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Bel Peor. For all the men who followed Bel Peor, the Lord your God has destroyed. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Verse 6 So keep and do them. You know, it, it, it unlocked life. For, for Israel, obedience to the Lord, obedience to the Word, it was a matter of life and death. Would, would Israel obey? Would they listen to, as we saw last week, God's wisdom, or would they lean on man's wisdom? And Moses is going to come back to this at the end in Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 and following. He says, he says, essentially, life and death are before you. Which will you choose? He says, I have set before you life. This is Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. And prosperity and death and adversity. Those are your choices. I've put them before you. 
in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments. Why? That you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you will perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, and I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. It's a choice. Life and death. God has placed life and death before us through the word. And he says, which will you choose? What's it going to be? It's the same thing that John 10.10, Jesus holds out there. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. But the life is found in Christ. We're going to have to submit ourselves to Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we've said it many times, but he says, see, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's sufficient. It's from God. 2 Peter 1, 3 says, seeing that his divine power, seeing his divine knowledge has given us everything, everything, according to what? A knowledge of the Word. The blessing is found in a knowledge of the Word. Everything pertaining to life, everything pertaining to godliness, 2 Peter 1, 3 is found where? In submission to the Word. Submission to the Word. Life is found in the Word of God. Life as it was intended to live is found in the Word of God. It's, it's unleashed. That, that abundant life is lived by gladfully, joyfully submitting our lives to what this Word says. Serving, the, serving those who can't serve themselves. Loving the orphan, loving the widow. Putting others before us. Wanting to be last so that they'll be for All those things, that's the Word. Totally contradictory to what our flesh says, but that's the Word. That's life as God intended for it to be lived. And why is that? Because that reflects His character. Why do we do those things? Because that we're in doing those things, we're reflecting His character. Why do we forgive? Because that's, what, that's His character that we've received. Why do we love the unlovable? Because that's the character we've received from Him. Why do we serve those who can't help themselves? Because that's the character that we received from Him. When, when we obey this Word, we are literally, in, in Genesis 1, He says that you, we, will, we will represent Him. We, we bear His image. We are representative rulers. We sinned. That was hindered. God gave us the word that he would draw us back that we could representatively rule and represent him on his behalf. In, in obeying this word, we're reflecting his character. We're showing his character. Just like you as parents, you teach your children right and wrong and you teach them to live for your values and you live them, you teach them to live. God is teaching his children how to represent him in a sinful world. And he's saying, if you want life unlocked the way it was meant to be, then you live according to this word. You gladfully, joyfully submit to this word. And he's saying, in your response is going to unlock life or it's going to unlock death. Your response, your personal response to Jesus Christ is going to unlock life or it's going to unlock death. And it's your choice. 
And we will know, you'll know which one you choose by how you live. He, he says in, in, in John 16, He that is in you is greater than he is in the world. That, that, that our faith in Christ is, is, overcomes the world. That faith is generated by the word of God. Our faith is fueled by the word of God. The faith that overcomes the world is fueled by the word. Unless we know the word, we'll never obey the word. Especially not consistently. And, and Moses is telling Israel, and he's also telling us, life is unleashed and unlocked through obedience to God's word. You want to live an abundant life? You want to live life to the fullest? Obey God's word. Live for the Lord. Make much of the Lord. But not only that, in verses 6-8, through eight, he tells us that obedience to God through His Word is the greatest privilege imaginable. It's the greatest privilege imaginable. He says, So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all the statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on Him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as those as this whole law which I am setting before you today? It's a privilege. To serve the Lord is a privilege. I mean, the thought that the Creator of the universe initiated a relationship with Israel of all nations is dumbfounding. But the thought that he would save me, a sinner, an enemy of his son, is even more dumbfounding. That he would crucify his son for me? That's crazy. It's a privilege. I was an enemy. And I've been brought in. I've been welcomed in. And, and not only that, he takes care of me. Moses is saying, Israel, if you, you need to understand it is a privilege. You would be no nation at all if it were not for God. I would have no life at all in the truest sense if it were not for God. I mean, the thought that God would want a relationship with us, the thought that He would do so at the expense of His Son, that's a privilege. The thought that I was an enemy, that I deserved death, that I deserved to die because of my sins, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but God would pay that wage Himself in, the, in His own Son? That's a privilege. And, 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 and the fact that He would then tell us how to live, that's a joy. It's not a burden. 1 John 3, 5, 3 says that His commandments are not burdensome. When, when you love someone... When you understand how greatly you're loved by that someone, obeying them is not, a, is not a burden, it's a joy. The issue is love, though. The issue is trusting the character. Do, do we understand that, that God has told us these things out of love, or do we think He's keeping us from something? Did, Moses, did, did God give Moses the 613 Mosaic laws out of love, or, or was He punishing them? They were love. It was a privilege to be brought into His presence. And not only that, the privilege of knowing God. You, you see what he says there? He says in, in verse uh, 7, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on Him? Think about that. 
that God is the creator of the universe hearkens himself to hear our cries whenever we call on him. That's a privilege. A privilege. And obedience to the Lord, obedience to the Lord becomes a privilege when we understand that his commandments are an expression of love. It's an expression of love. His commandments are assurances of strength. His commandments are invitations to blessing. His his commandments are invitations, opportunities to grow, to bring Him glory, to have fellowship. That's why He gives us the Word. He's inviting us to have an abundant life. He's inviting us to live and to represent Him, and that's a privilege. Which will we choose? Same thing for Israel. Which will we choose? Will we see His commandments and burdensome? He, he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. They're not burdensome. It's light. Blessing and life are bound up in His commandments. And in verses 5 through 8 as well, Moses teaches us this, that Israel's greatness came from their relationship to their God and not from themselves. Their, their greatness came from who they were related to, who they were loved by. They were great because of their relationship to the Lord. In, in the Old Testament, the word wisdom there, you see in verses 5 through 8, had to do with character rather than intelligence. And it, and it deals with the right use of knowledge. God's wisdom and, and living according to this wisdom guaranteed Israel's success. He said, look, if you will live this way, I will blow you away in what I'll do for you, if you'll live this way. But you're going to have to choose by faith to, to follow me. And in Romans 8, we have the same thing. In all these things, Romans eight thirty seven, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Romans 8, 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? It's bound up in the relationship. A few weeks ago, we studied Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who, who is planted. He will plant you by strength. Blessed is the man who meditates on God's word day and night, for he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. In everything he does is prosper. His leave does not wither. That river that we're to be planted in is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. He says, when you do that, you'll not only that, you'll yield your fruit in its season, it says. Not only will you be blessed, you'll be a blessing. Same thing in John 15, 5. He talks about the vine and the branches. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He goes on in verse 5 to say, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. We have to stay in the Word. It all goes back to obeying God's Word. In Matthew 5, 16, He said, Let your light so shine before men that in doing so they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father. It's humbly submitting ourselves to this Word shows off our Father. Our, our, our deeds brag on our Father. Just like when your kids go out on the rare occasions that that maybe they, they do something great and they're mannerly and this and that, and someone will come up, man, you have great kids. You must be a great parent. Indeed, I am. Indeed, I am. They're reflect, hopefully, they're reflecting our character. 
They ought to, people of the world ought to see, they ought to see us at Miss Jackson's house on September 27th and say, what in the world are y'all doing here? Let me tell you about the, let me tell you about our Heavenly Father that loves us. Let me tell you about what he was willing to, I was Miss Jackson spiritually and he put his son on a cross to die for me, to save me. And I'm doing for Miss Jackson exactly what my God did for me. That they'll see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. And ultimately for Israel, the privilege was being known and also knowing the one true God. It was a privilege. And when other people, when other people prayed their false gods, they were aloof. They couldn't hear. They did nothing. They got no response. And here was Israel, this tiny little nation, and their God was near to them and heard their cries. It was a privilege. John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that they may know the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom He sent. Eternal life is the privilege of knowing the one true God and being known by the one true God. That's eternal life. It's a privilege. I mean, God could have left Israel to figure out everything on their own, how to respond. He could have left just, hey, I've done enough for you, you guys go. He didn't do that. He didn't do that for you or I either. He's given us wisdom. And He's graciously offered a relationship with us. And He showed them and He showed us how to live victoriously. That doesn't mean that everything is going to go awesome and that everything is going to work out. But it does mean this, no matter what happens, we're an overcomer. No matter what happens, we more than overcome through Him who loved us. People sin, we feel the effects of that sin. We're a room full of people that either are suffering the effects of our sin or other people's sin. And yet God in His grace overcomes the effects of sin. And the best that the world could do at that time was guess about their God's and the Israel's God, the one true God, fully revealed Himself, just gave Himself to them and offered a relationship. And the point is this, we serve a great God who has clearly shown us what is required of us. Who, who paved the way Himself for us to measure up to what He requires of us by putting His own Son on a cross. Why? Because we didn't measure up. In, in, in Galatians 3.24, it says that the law was a tutor to lead Israel to Christ. See, this word is a tutor that ultimately leads us to Christ. I can't obey this word perfectly on my own. I need somebody to do that for me. Enter Christ. When I fall short of even one part of this word, the Bible says that makes you a sinner. You're guilty of breaking one part of the law. You're guilty of breaking the whole law. Enter Christ who obeyed it perfectly and now he's given the, pri the prize to me. See, that's the whole point. If you're going to represent me, here's how you're going to represent me. But God, I can't do that. Okay, I get that. I'm going to put my son on a cross and he's going to do it for you and then he's going to give you the prize. And then we're going to be in a relationship together through my son. See, don't be like Israel and think, well, I'm going to pull up my bootstraps and do it on my own. No, I'm going to fall completely on Jesus Christ. I'm going to make much of what Christ has done. See, even in Deuteronomy, God was pointing them to Christ. In Romans 10, 17, and, and he does that through his word. In Romans 10, 17, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. The Word of God. 
You, you can't supplant the Word of God. The, the, the Word of God contains life. It contains salvation. It's to be treasured. You, you cannot neglect or, or, or tear down the role of God's Word in our lives. And, and even, in, even in doing this, you see the missional heart of God that is also true for us. Sometimes we think that missions came along in Matthew 28, 19, and before then God had this different plan. It's always been about missions. It's always been about impacting the world. Look what he says. Other nations, Israel, will see you and they will declare the greatness of your God. Why? If you represent me. If you live according to my word. Other nations will see your light. And in the, pl in the plan of God through the obedience of his people, they would demonstrate the greatness of their God. This little old nation that nobody could whoop. And they're going to say, why? Because we serve a great God. Let me tell you about him. How Israel responded to God's grace and lived out their lives was to be a witness to the world around them of the greatness of God. And it's the same for you and I. Look, look with me in 2 Corinthians real quickly, and then we're going, we're going to press eject here. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses, 12, verses uh, 14 and following. I want you to see the continuity here. Paul writes, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. When we're in Christ, no matter what Satan throws at us, we triumph and manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death to the other in Roma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in sight of man. Verse chapter 3, Are we beginning or commending ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? Listen to this, this is the point. You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not, in, not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Listen, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. You see how we're to obey? You see how God wants us to follow? Not, not, on not because it's written on a tablet, because it's been written on our heart. It's, it's not that I go to this thing, I read what to do, and i got to do it. No, I get to do it. It's like loving your spouse, loving your kids. It's from the heart. It's from the heart. And we live out the greatness of our God. We're to live out the greatness of God through an overflow of His love for us. We, we, we bask in the greatness of how great God has loved us, and therefore we love others. It's an overflow. But the question is before us, just like it was for Israel, which will you choose? And, and, and in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15, I think they have it in the back. Joshua poses that same question. He says, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose your land are living. But as for me and my house... We're going to serve the Lord. 
Same question is for all of us. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to seek to make much of? How are you going to structure your life and build your life around? Who? Who, who are you going to seek to make much of? You or this world? The choice is ours. And Moses continually brings it up to them because he tells them over and over, and we will see it in two weeks in chapter 6. And he warns them, and he says, I'm telling you, be careful, because when you get into this land, and there's, there milk and honey are flowing everywhere, and you didn't have to do anything to get this land, you're going to become arrogant, and you're going to think you deserved it. You're going to become arrogant and think that you're worthy of it. And you're going to start serving the creation instead of the Creator. And that's where we live today. We forget that it's God who did this. And that what Moses is telling them and why we have the Word, we continually go back to Word because we are to be on guard against the tendency to wander away from the truth of the Word. We wonder, but we've got to be diligent. We've got to be diligent to pass these truths on. That's what Moses is beginning to say to them. He's going to go on in chapter 9 and following, and he says, make them known in verse 9 to your sons. He says, give heed to yourself Keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. You, you can look at 2 Corinthians 11. You can look at 2 Corinthians 2 through 6 there and, and verses 11 through 15. Satan wants to pull us away from the, from the simplicity and the sincerity of devotion to Christ, to follow other gods. And it's the same with Israel, and it's the same today. Israel, and here's the thing. Israel was always one generation from losing their devotion to Christ. They were one generation. All it took was one generation. Not passing these truths down. Not making much. I understand in God's sovereignty and all that, but do you understand the importance of taking these truths and passing them down? Satan wants to deceive us and pull us away. And God, Moses says it in, in verse 24, The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Paul uses that same description of him in 2 Corinthians 11, that he's jealous for God and jealous that, that, his, that the people who he has talked to and shared the gospel with would not be pulled away. And Israel was always one generation from losing God's blessing. One generation. We, we see that, I dare say we see that in our country. How quickly a country, the whole tide of a country can turn. How quickly. One generation. That's why in 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, it says, Hey, you faithful men and women, you teach the word of God to faithful men and women, and you keep doing that. That's why he's going to say in Deuteronomy 6, Hey, you write the word of God all over your house, all over you, all over your kids, so they'll be faithful to know it and pass it on. And look at Deuteronomy 4.10. Why do we make such a big deal about the word of God here? Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words. Why? So they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and they may teach their children. That's why we make God's word a big deal here. We want to learn to fear God and we want to teach them. 
Israel's worst enemy, Israel's worst enemy was not outsiders. Hear that. It was their own heart. It was their own mind. You can look at Joshua, Judges 2.10. You can look at Hosea 4.6. It was them rejecting the revelation that was given them. That was their greatest enemy. Even in chapter 4, verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and find Him, if you search for Him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things that come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to His voice. It's always about God's Word. And for us, the danger is this. Will we be a generation that rejects God's faithfulness? Or will we be a generation that teaches the other generation about God's faithfulness? And, and the significance, the significance is in the fact that we have in front of us the revealed will of God. That He has given us His Word. The challenge becomes, how will we respond to His Word? And we must make the decision to conform our wills to God's will based on the Word of God. And we've got to make sure that we're careful. Those are your, hand, your fill-ins there, that we're careful to live this world out. You can go all the way to Ephesians 5. Nothing's changed. Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the days because the days are evil. He says, do not be ignorant, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You, you, you study, you read Deuteronomy on yourselves, I dare you to circle how many times Moses says, be careful, be careful, be careful, over and over again, be careful. Why? Because our tendencies forget. Our tendencies become arrogant. Our tendency is to forget that we are, to, we are here to display God's character to a watching world through our obedience to Him. We are here to represent Him and make much of Him. And have we failed? Yes, we have. And even in, even in the failure in verses 30 and 31 of Deuteronomy 4, look at it, he says in verse 31, he, they had failed and he's saying, if you return to me, you can. And he says this, for the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them. God never stops being faithful. Even when we're not faithful, He never stops being faithful. Have you fallen short? Here's, here's the point. Return to Him, repent. He's faithful to forgive us our sins. 1 John 1, 9, if any of you sins, He is faithful to forgive us our sins. And start over. Return, remember, respond. Start today. But it always goes back to God's Word. It always goes back. This must be central in our lives. God has revealed Himself. Ask for a relationship with us. The only way that we're going to grow as believers is through a knowledge of His Word. And I pray that we as a church would be a people that have responded appropriately to God's Word. That we understand the great love that God has lavished upon us. And we would give that love to others. We would pour that love out on others. That's God's desire. That we would do for others exactly what in His grace God has done for us.